Thank you for joining me this morning as we continue in the book of James. Oh, I didn't wait to the bell. Clock's fast. Um, last week we talked about James 1, 1 through 4. And I just kind of want to review as far as what we've learned. One of the biggest things we know that James wants us to be happy. I mean, in a nutshell, facing our trials, uh, facing challenges with the help of God is the primary way that we grow up. Um, but let patience have her perfect work that you may be perfect and entire wanting nothing. So we can be mature and complete, not lacking anything with the help of God. Um, so that's, you know, that's the, the first view, the first section within James. We're going to continue with further in James, and we're going to talk about, we're going to just, we're going to read James 1, 5 through 18. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach. And it will be given him, but let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flowers fall and its beauty perishes. So all will be rich. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil. And he himself tempts no one, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Now, what do we learn in verses 5 through 8? That God is always ready and willing to help us. In verse 5, and if, you, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God. In context, James is talking about the need for wisdom when troublesome comes. We should count it all joy when troubles come. When problems come, we need to utilize all resources we can give that we can gain divine insight from a variety of sources. What are some of those areas that we get divine insight that we go to when we need help um, with whatever situation that we might be going through? 
question. Oh, I, I'm sorry. I'm just saying when we're going through trials and we're going through situations or what are some what are some things that we do to try to understand how we get through them as far as spiritually? We pray for one thing. Give us a little wisdom what's going on. I don't think we question too much the good times, but the bad times we, we have a tendency to... Uh, <laughs> to understand counting to be joyful. But. Yes. Yep. Mark, I, I think, uh, I think uh, we rely on uh, Christian brothers and sisters. We we turn to them when we're going through things. Sometimes, I'm not saying everybody has that relationship with with other Christian mm-hmm. friends or whatnot, but I think a I think a lot of us do. And so when we're going through something, uh, we gain strength and knowledge from. From each other. Yep. In Proverbs one two, we obviously go to the Bible. Uh, we, you know, as Doug mentioned, that we we pray. Um, we also learn from others, as Sam was talking about. We go to others for, you know, guidance. I know that um, I've done that several times in in my walk, and then also we have our experience that we've gone through our walk that we kind of gained from as far as uh, we learn different things. God shows us different things we've gained from that experience. Um, so what do we do when we've exhausted all of our resources? We're at our wit's end. What, what's the next thing that we, or what's another thing that we could do to when we are seeking guidance? This is reminding us that if we'll ask God, He will give us the understanding, the wisdom, not just the knowledge necessarily, but the wisdom to deal with things that are sort of undealable with. Uh, you know, I can only remember twice my life that I actually prayed for wisdom, I'm ashamed to say. Uh, but uh, we ask for lots of things, but uh, this is a basic, basic thing that we can ask from God and it assures us that if we ask it in faith, continuing to use it and, and planning to use it, God will give us the ability to think better than non-Christians, to, to understand better how to deal with things. Exactly. Yes, when all secondary sources of divine insight fail to satisfy, we can go to the primary source, which is God himself. And I... I'll admit that I don't, you know, when I think of my Christian walk, I've always, I've learned to be self-sufficient with my background, with the baggage in my life. And even today, even in marriage, you know, I want to, I want to be a fixer. I want to do things myself. And, you know, Tammy will say, hey, can I help you? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm learning that, um, you know, you know, as I'm learning to allow Tammy to help me with things, that I don't have to do everything alone. I mean, the more important thing is I'm learning that I really need to trust and ask God for things. Because a lot of times I think, oh, and, you know, oh, I've asked God too many times or I'm praying too much about this thing or what have you. And I think that's, you know, a Satan's lie that he wants us to believe that we can't go to God. Um, let's see. 
another scripture that kind of goes well with that idea is lean not on your own understanding. And I think because of that, we need to be reminded that, yeah. Yes, exactly. Um, if any of you lack wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. Uh, I think, I mean, this obviously reminds me that I can always go to God. And even erring on the side of caution, I can always go to God. Even if I'm, you know, that's the number one thing that I should be thinking about as far as focusing in my life. And I think that's what James wants us to know. What James tells us here is that we can have confidence that God will answer our prayer. When we are going to God for wisdom, that's one of the biggest confidences we can have among many other things. How powerful is prayer? Um, God giveth to all men liberally and unbraideth not. That's King James. Um, God gives to all men. There are no favorites. He has, he's not stingy, and he gives uh, liberally, and it shall be given to him. One of the great, one of the great biblical affirmations of the power of prayer. Now, how can we receive this wisdom? We've obviously we've discussed that we you know read the word. We can go to God. Of course, we pray. Um, you know, but the Bible tells us that we have to do things in a certain way. We have to, we want to ask the right things. The first thing is that we have to have faith. If we don't have faith, if we don't have confidence in what, you know, what God tells us, then that's one of the first breaking points of, you know, within ourselves. In James 1, 6, 8, but let him ask, let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and taught driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Second, we cannot be double-minded. Um, we can't have faith sometimes, and we can't have doubt. We can't live in, live in and out of faith or intermix that with doubt. Um, James, you know, James is telling us to not be filled with doubt, that we want to believe in a giving God whom we can go to with the greatest confidence when trouble comes our way. I mean, I'll admit for me, I've definitely been double-minded. I'll pray something halfway where I'm, I'm, it's almost like I'm going through the motions and I'm really forgetting the confidence and really thinking about the truth that God gives. The apostles one time, Jesus was telling them something, and they said, we believe, help us with our unbelief. This is a, a process, this is a part of being a Christian, and we always have to strive not to have doubts, because doubts are just part of our physical nature. Things around us makes us doubt the spiritual that we can't see. So we need to always have faith, but we need to always be careful not to judge ourselves too harshly and to uh, forget to ask God for our faith. Ask God for His wisdom. There's lots of wisdom in the world. If you're wanting to go up in a company, you can sit down and make a list of things to do. That'll be worldly wisdom more often than not. 
or you can ask God for the wisdom to be a servant and uh, it will serve you better because God's wisdom is better than man's wisdom. Absolutely. Let's see. So, as I'm, I think that's, you know, that's really important to think about how the worldly ways, um, we want to, we want the quick, the, the simplistic way that's the most convenient for us to get what we want. And we're not always looking at, well, we're not looking at things through the glasses of, okay, what does God want for us? What, how does God want us to live? And I think the key is, is, you know, how am I striving to live in a way that would please God or live according to God's will for my life? Which brings us to the next part of James, uh, James 1, 9 through 11. Um, Well, actually, I'm going to kind of back up here a little bit. I was kind of thinking about this, and, you know, we're talking about worldliness. Does anyone remember the song, Don't Worry, Be Happy? <laughs> in 19, that was, you know, Bobby McFerrin wrote that song. It was released in 1988. It was the number one song. It was the first a cappella song to be number one, number one on the hot uh, 100 list. Um, you know, and, and he saw a poster from... Mera Baba, who was an Indian mystic who lived, I think, 1894 to 1969. Um, so we could go into as far as who he was and, and, and whatnot, but I just kind of wanted to share a little bit where, you know, he just saw that phrase and he said, that's a really cool four words philosophy. And of course, he's looking at it from a worldly standpoint. In every life, we have some trouble, but when you worry, you make it double. Don't worry, be happy. Ain't got no cash, ain't got no style, ain't got no gal to make you smile. But don't worry, be happy. Because when you worry, your face will frown, and that will bring everybody down. Don't worry, be happy. Um, you know, I, I think that is a good philosophy if we're not Christians. I mean, we think, we talk, we, you know, it's thinking positively. It's looking at... Uh, you know, how do you take a negative situation and, you know, hey, let's just be happy. But what's the substance uh, behind that? I mean, the world tells us that we want to have more money. We want to have more debt. Hey, get more credit cards. I mean, how, how often are we watching TV and there's always a credit card ad or we get credit card ads in our email. They want, we want to have more debt. We want to have a bigger house. We want to have a fancier car. We want the latest and greatest things. I mean, these are pretty cool to uh, be up here and making this, uh, being able to do this study. It's just really neat to have to have things. But what happens when all the want that we want um, doesn't really give us what we need, or we, it doesn't give us the happiness that we want? Um, I mean, that's one of the most common problems on this day, and even in James' time. I mean. Um, you know, the, the people, the people at that time, either you were very, very poor or you were very, very rich, at least most people. Um, and, you know, back in, back in those days and even, even today, you know, the poor, they have trials. They have a trial of the body where they get exhausted. 
a trial of mind. It's hard to get an education. Trial of heart. It may be hard to give. A trial of temper. Patience often wears thin. Now, the rich, of course, they can deal with those same problems, but they also have problems beginning with being distracted. They get distracted. They have so much money that they think they have what they want. And because of that, they may be distracted from the really important things in life. Um, they may be distracted from special cares and responsibilities. Um, and they also can get distracted with the danger of feeling self-sufficient. Hey, I have all this money. What, what do I need help for? I, I'm living a good life. Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted. But the rich in that he is made low because as the flower of the grass he shall pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen with the burning heat, but it withereth the grass and the flower thereof fallen and the grace of the fashion of its per uh, perisheth. And so also shall the rich man fade away in his, in his ways. Studying in the concept that James wants us to be happy, as great as these challenges were and are, that whatever our financial situation, we can still be happy. Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted, but the rich in that he is made low. That's James 1, 9, and 10. You know, he first speaks to the brother in low degree and is teaching him to learn self-respect. The brother of low degree is the poor man humbled by his circumstances. There's obviously there's so many things that that he needs that he can't provide himself. And you know, he's learning to humble himself and to realize that, you know, God the Father can provide, that he can guide him. Now in this situation where we tend to grip in this situation where we tend to gripe because we're always wanting something more. But James is telling us to rejoice. Why? Because the poor man that is a Christian is actually exalted. All it, you know, it's, you know, doing this study and thinking about things, it really, it humbles me as far as where I'm at in my relationship and realizing, I mean, I've read James several times. I don't know that I've really understood some of the things that I'm seeing here this time. How you know how much is there in just a short few verses that I've never really realized before, and I, I can thank God for that that wisdom and that knowledge. Um, but but James is telling us to rejoice, and you know again because the poor man, the Christian is exalted in Philippians four one nine or four nineteen. When your brother owns everything, you can hold your, when your father owns everything, you can hold your hand held high, your head held high. Uh, James also speaks to the rich. The rich can be happy if they can learn self-abasement. Abasement means the humiliation of oneself, the act of behaving in a way that makes one seem lower or less deserving of respect. The rich Christian Striving to do the will of God is brought low in at least two ways. In his own self-examination and in service. In James 1.10, it 
As the flower of the grass, he shall pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen with the burning heat, but is where? But is it withereth in grass, and the flower therefore faileth, and the grace of the fashion of its perisheth. <laughs> King James Version, I tell you. <laughs> so also shall the rich made rich man fade away in his ways. You know, Christianity has been called the great equalizer. It elevates the poor man in his in his humble state. It humbles the rich man in his elevated state. Now, I, I definitely wouldn't say that I I would say that I'm rich, uh, but I think I'm. You know, when I think of mon- monetary things, but I really do think I'm rich in a lot of other ways that. I can have confidence, too much confidence. I can have an ego. I'm, you know, I'm very good at playing the guitar. I'm very good at taking photos. Uh, you know, and and I think uh, we're talking. This is talking about money, but I think we can apply it to a lot of different areas in our life where God can use things that we can be humbled by. And I think, I mean, that's what I take away from that as well. In Philippians four eleven, Paul says, "I have learned." in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. And I think that's a key, is contentness. Um, you know, in whatever situation, we don't have to worry, we can be happy. And of course, I'm kind of, you know, in doing this study, you know, I'm, I'm trying to be in context with what James talking about here, but then I, I kind of feel like we, you know, there's so many applications that we can take this and we apply it to our own life, depending on where we're at. And I think contentness is a very important thing with wherever we're at, whether we have too much or we have too little, we can be content with whatever we have, knowing that we can trust uh, God in our lives. We can have faith and confidence knowing that whatever is happening in our lives, that God will give us wisdom so that we can continue to strive and do the will of God. And that's the key, the will of God. Um, I'm always being reminded, and unfortunately in my walk, you know, I have, I've lived in a way where I'm just thinking about myself. I'm going minute by minute. I'm worrying about my current situation or what I'm doing with work or you know, meeting some, meeting a need to help somebody else, but I'm forgetting the bigger picture and knowing that, you know, what is God's will for my life and am I living and striving in a way that I want to live according to God's will. What is the key takeaway here in, in James? It is not our outward circumstances that make us happy or sad, but rather our response and our attitude. I think, you know, uh, how important is that? Where me as a fixer, I want to make things happen. Um, I'm always thinking that it might be greener somewhere else. Like I see someone else's situation. They have money. Man, if I had money, I'd be happy. That person's got confidence. If I had his confidence, you know, life would be better. 
boy, that man, I, I wish I had his looks because if I had his looks, boy, I'd be really better in my life. Yes. Um, when it comes to contentment, um, a person that comes to mind for me was a lady that a lot of us would know here, uh, Lucy Bridges. That lady was amazing. Always happy, content with what she had. Didn't have very much. But boy, she, whatever she had, she glorified God with it. Yeah. I've done a lot of traveling in um, Central America. I've been to South America. And I can remember going to... I was, I was, there was a time when I thought that I wanted to teach English in Honduras. And I went to Honduras, and it was it, it was a journey to get to this place, Ocotepeque, Honduras. And it was 95 degrees. We were hiking to go see a, a waterfall, and it was hot. We got to the waterfall. There was none. We had took a we had took a, a a local guide. She was kind of showing us the way and. The school, the, the people that we were with knew this person. Well, it, it was so hot that it was we were questioning making it back because we had hiked so far. We just didn't, real, didn't recognize the situation. She said, well, my brother will give us a ride back to town. So we were hiking, and let me tell you, there was this family. They had an adobe mud hut. No real doors, no windows. I mean, a, a space for a window, but it was open air. They had no electricity. It was a dirt floor. They had rough, you know, blankets and some pillows and some rough furniture inside this mud hut. Their kitchen was outside. They, their water was fed by a well. They literally had nothing. And I've never seen so many people. They were so happy. They were so joyful. And that was really a first impression that I had. Well, I've traveled all over the world, and I've seen some different things in third world countries, but for some reason in 2010, that was the first time in my life that I've, I've just made me really wonder uh, about happiness. And, you know, they literally, these families had nothing, and they were more happy than myself and several others that I knew that had everything, at least from their point of view. Well, Mark, you think in terms of history, some of the richest men in America were so rich they didn't know what to do with their money, and yet they wound up broke and penniless and in the end, and some of them committed suicide. You know, with all of those riches and the money, there would, did they have peace. Those who uh, are content with what they have find themselves that they don't have the worries, they don't have the chains and situations, it's pretty stable and constant. Yeah. Recently, there was a billionaire in the Bitcoin uh, market, if you will, yes. that lost everything. And he took a lot of people with him. Yes. So you, you said, well, what's the advantage? You be careful of what you see and look and do because it may not be what you think it is, but if you are content with what you have and deal with it. And then, to me, the most important thing is you have peace of mind. Yes. 
Well, how often, and I'll put myself front and center, how often do I not understand what I'm really asking for? Uh, you know, I, I think I want to win that uh, $1 billion lottery. But do I, but do, I mean, realistically, do I really want to? No, I, I, I don't want to. I don't want the responsibility. Um, but yes, I think it's... Uh, Often think if I bought that one ticket and I won, how embarrassed I'd be. <laughs> Someone gave it to me. <laughs> well, I, I wouldn't want anyone to know. Mark, the, um, uh, two things. One of them is I think you really hit on something there that we all struggle with. And, and it is it, the term that I would use for it would be destination happiness. We always think that we would be if we were in another person's situation. If I moved here, I'd be happy. If I had this house, I was happy. I had all those things. And the reality is sometimes we need to remind ourselves, those people that you're looking at and you're thinking that or whatnot, they may be up to here in debt, even though it looks good. Or they may be, we don't really know the circumstance of that or whatnot, but we do. I've seen some people who were kind of in and out of that thought process mm -hmm. of destination happiness. And then I've seen some people who were just literally consumed by it. They were never happy. They were always miserable. And, and the other thing is, as you refer to this family, what we have found is, is generally people that are like that, that have nothing, they're more receptive to the gospel than anyone. Because they're not self-reliant. Okay? They're, they're not distracted. Yeah. yeah. We are, the reason why the people around us are so hard to touch with the gospel is because they're not in need. I mean, yeah. really. Mm -hmm. uh, they see themselves as uh, I have all these things. They're happy. They all and you know, so it's hard to reach them. But I, I know a lot of times that's why in some of these countries we go to or whatnot, they're so receptive. Why do you think Uganda and all these places are growing faster than anything as far as the church? Exactly. You know? Yeah. No. Exactly. Comparative happiness is always a dangerous thing. Mm -hmm. Whether we're that family in Honduras who, if they only had electricity. So they could read, their kids could read books at night, or whether us as typical Americans, that if we just had one more thing to, to make things easier for us, we, we'd be happy. Comparative happiness is not godly wisdom. Uh, Paul said, I, I can be happy if I uh, barely have enough to eat when I'm preaching, or if I have a lot of respect. Uh, yeah. I can be happy either way because I trust God. Trusting God is the way to be happy. Uh, <clears throat> I think it's the only way to be happy. <laughs> We're throwing away on the word happy. Happy is a relative term. All right? You can be happy in any... The idea is being joyful in all these situations. Yes. Because God is with us. The happy is, is a tenuous... Red to try to say, I'm going to be happy. Well, you're going to be happy when you uh, stock market goes down and you lost half your IRA. Well, probably not. Can I be joyful? Yes, I can be because I know that that God is with me and everything will work out if I trust in Him. It may not be worked out according to my expectations, but I will be stronger than a Christian if I just understand that. Whatever situation I'm in, I know that God is with me. Yes. And, and we'll, we'll go the thing is, I said, let me think about it here. No matter what happens in God, I know that we're going to work it out together. 
so that's that's the idea. You know, we have a <clears throat> have a friend that uh, well, God just wants me to be happy. No, He just yeah. wants to be happy. He wants you to be joyful in your situation. Happiness is a tenuous concept at all in all cases. Yes, I, yes, absolutely. My grandmother used to say, "You can be as happy as you want to be." Mm -hmm. It's a matter of choice. It is, and it, I it's some state of mind people that maintain a good, <coughs> good level. Um, look at farmers and ranchers. Hmm. Yeah, boy, you you talk about a lot of prayer and faith, <laughs> especially <laughs> last couple of years. Yes, with a lot of drought going yes. on. They're still optimistic. Still, mm -hmm. they still have a happiness and joy that, that we're, we're referring to. And uh, a lot of uh, businesses or industry that, you know, like Ron was saying, maybe on the edge of a building mm -hmm. in those situations. Yes. That, that those are, that's a group of people that typically have a lot of trust and belief in God. And I think about it too. The World War II generation. And a whole lot of them that were in concentration camps and stuff. Uh, there's a lot that they went through that we, you and I have had this conversation. Our, our generations would not, would not make it through it. Yes. We, we, we honestly wouldn't. And, uh, but they had a lot of trust and belief in God and they believed in something a lot bigger than the situation they were in. Yes. So now we're going to we're going to turn a little bit as far as what we've been talking about is outward issues, outward problems, sometimes things that we don't we don't always control. James 1 or James 1:12, blessed is the man that endureth temptation, perseveres under trial. In NIV, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. James is saying that this world is a proving ground for our faith. If we have had no problems in life, then we have untested faith. When we have passed the last test, then we, we have God's seal of approval, and heaven is our reward. He shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that loved him. You know, um, James 1, 13 through 18, it's, this is moving into an area where we're talking about personal accountability for our own sin. Um, we think about what is our real source for temptation coming from? You know, uh, up until this point in time, James has had so much, has said so much about the value of trials and problems that some might have gotten the idea that God personally and deliberately sends us all our problems so we can receive the benefits. Let no man say that he is tempted. I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. The previous verses have talked about outward trial, but in verse 12 through 18, temptation is in view. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. From the beginning, men have played the blame game. They want 
to blame others, including God, for their own failures. Genesis 3.12, And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me the tree, and I did eat. Today it's easy to blame environment or heredity or God or anybody else other than ourselves for our problems. You know, I think about my life and I'm, I don't know that I've ever blamed God for anything. Maybe I have and I haven't realized it yet, but I've definitely believed, I've definitely blamed my background. I've blamed different circumstances in my past for who I thought I was. And it was something that um, definitely was holding me back because I wasn't being responsible for my own actions. You know, James, James says to stop blaming God. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man, James 1-13. God neither sins nor encourages us to sin. So if God is not the source of our sin, then what is? Uh, Satan is our tempter, Matthew 4, 4, Thessalonians 3, 5. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Satan is aware of our own weaknesses. You know, we supply the bait that's on the hook that Satan uses that entrap us. And how true that is. Here's the thing, Satan cannot make us do anything that we don't want to do. We do not have to give in to our lusts. Romans 8.13, James 4.7, as you know, they reference, what happens when we give free reign to our sin? What happens if we just give up and give in to them? When we give in to our unlawful desire, whatever it might be, there is conception. And at last, sin is born. Sin, the child of our own folly. We do not have to live in that sin. Now, the, I think what my favorite part right now of this, this uh, in James is, by repentance, confession, turning back to God, that child can be vanished. I think that's, that's one of the... That's one of the important things that speaks aloudest to me and what's important for anybody, whether they realize it or not. That with repentance, meaning we turn away from that sin, we confess that sin to God, we turn back to God, and then we, you know, we get rid of that sin in our life and we walk away from it. Or we can nourish that child. We can choose to not repent. We can try to justify ourselves for what we did. We could watch that child grow. I've had sin in my life in the past that I really had to deal with at one time. And it's... I don't know what the right descriptive word is, but when that sin grows and we choose to not deal with it, it just grows and grows and grows. And we see that so often, not that I'm looking at other people's lives and I'm judging them for the sin, but we see what happens when the world lives in sin. We see the state of 
where our country is at. Just, you know, and we can look at it at a, a local scale within ourselves, or we can look at it at a broader scale when it comes to, you know, humankind. Then when lust hath conceived, it brings forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. That's James 1, 15. We are then doomed. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Or in the ESV, do not be deceived, my dear brothers. Do not err is accusing God of being responsible for your sin. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Of his own will begot he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures, King James Version. Of his own, he will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures in ESV. What is important to learn from what we've talked about this morning? I am to be one of God's spiritual first fruits. I must learn personal responsibility. I must stay away from temptation. I must learn to not entertain improper desires. I must learn to confess my sin. I must learn to return to the Lord when I fail. If, if we do our part, God will be with us and we can be victorious over the trials and temptations of life. Next week, we will finish. This is going a little bit slower than I anticipated. I figured after two lessons, we would speed through chapter one. But we're going to finish chapter one, and we're going to work in our way chapter two. And we will definitely get through James. <laughs> Don't make that promise. <laughs> thank, thank you, everybody.